0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Space Road Podcast. This is a slightly different one. I talked to two people for the first time from a Twitter account by the name of DeFi India. This particular account tweets a lot about uh, crypto projects, DeFi projects, and about Indian cryptocurrency ecosystem and regulations around it these guys choose to be anonymous at this point of time and that's why we don't have any video uh, for this particular episode but this is one of the most interesting conversations that i've had uh, on my podcast yet both of them come from traditional finance background and they have worked with different companies into investing trading venture capital and uh, both of them have a very good understanding of the overall crypto uh, ecosystem we talked about what is uh, defi what are the different categories of projects within the defi uh, ecosystem and then we also talked about what are some of the blue chip uh, projects within uh, uh, within each of these categories which people can uh, go and uh, use today then we also talked about uh, what are stable coins uh, what is the importance of stable coins uh, in the defi ecosystem or the larger crypto ecosystem as a whole And then we also talked about different types of stablecoins and uh, how their market looks uh, going forward. Then in the later part of the podcast, we also talked about Indian government's uh, stand on cryptocurrencies, how it has changed uh, for the past couple of years. And uh, with the introduction of 30% tax and 1% TDS in the latest budget session, how people should uh, read this, how people should understand this and how people should approach it. And then finally, we also talked about Bitcoin versus other cryptocurrencies and the crypto ecosystem uh, overall. There is a very valuable piece of advice towards the end of the podcast. Uh, So make sure that you listen till the end and um, I hope you enjoy this conversation and let's get started Hello, DeFi India, Uh, welcome to the Space Road podcast. Uh, Thank you for doing this. Uh, How are you guys doing today?
1: We're doing fantastic. Thanks for having us, Jayden.
0: It's my pleasure. So let us start with a basic introduction of like who is behind uh, DeFi India. If you guys tell me a bit about uh, your backgrounds and uh, uh, probably how your crypto journey looks like and what led you guys to starting DeFi India platform.
1: Sure. Um, I'll go first. Uh, My name's Pat. Of course, we're using pseudonyms here. (laughs) My name is Pat. Um, I studied computer science, uh, but I was interested in finance. Um, So I basically dabbled in both of them. But my core um, education is in computer science. So I do understand code and understand the underlying tech behind a lot of things. Uh, But saying that I've been I've had over a decade of experience in finance um, and I've worked at some big shops. Um, on the trading floors and otherwise, um, and I've also done a couple of years in consulting. So I was covering a lot of products, um, you know, commodities, FX, options, options, and so on and so forth, across mm-hmm. um, multiple places in, uh, you know, in you know, in Asia and overseas as well. Um, and um, as for crypto, I got into crypto in 2016, and my journey in crypto was uh, after. Uh, seeing, uh, after seeing Bitcoin over and over again in some sort of, in this one of these tech blogs that I was watching. And eventually Mm -hmm. I ended up um, seeing like, what is this about? And I ended up buying some Bitcoin mining shares. So once I bought that, then I got um, into the rabbit hole and dug deeper and deeper and deeper and got really deep into crypto. And now it's been over six years uh, that I've been uh, tracking crypto and following it. And currently I am full-time in crypto. Um, So that's me.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, so you can call me Sam. <clears throat> I am a chartered accountant by you know qualification. Uh, I'm a part of the traditional finance uh, venture capital industry in India. We back uh, consumer technology companies. Uh, I've been in crypto since late 2017, early 2018. So around the time when we uh, crashed from 20k down to I think 3k or so. Uh, mm-hmm. That was of course my first exposure to, to crypto. Uh, primarily Bitcoin. Uh, I got into Bitcoin primarily because I've been keenly following economics, uh, you know, pretty much forever. And uh, you know, when Bitcoin came around, uh, I was initially apprehensive about, you know, just just it being an alternative or a substitute to fiat currency. And you know, like like everyone else, you know, sort of Bitcoin has a way to grow onto you. And so I started uh, digging deeper, trying to understand what it's about, understanding about its history and monetary history at large following some of these guys on Twitter and uh, then, you know, like like Pat said, uh, went into the rabbit hole and, uh, you know, never never seen
0: back again. Yeah, I mean, that's how it is for uh, most of the people, I guess. Uh, About crypto. Yeah, I mean, uh, very nice to uh, hear both of your backgrounds. Uh, uh, Both of you are from traditional finance background, and so is the case with me as well. I have worked with uh, several uh, Indian banks uh, into wealth management and into transaction banking. And uh, during the same time, I figured, uh, I mean, I came across Bitcoin. For the first time I came across Bitcoin, I just uh, kind of ignored it. Uh, But for the second time, I started paying attention and... uh, Uh, you know, started reading some books, uh, started listening to podcasts uh, to build a better understanding for myself. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that's how it is for me. And uh, I am also like into uh, crypto full time now. And uh, uh, it's uh, like great to hear you guys uh, story. Uh, So my next question is, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say very, very nice to hear as well. Full time. How's it treating you now?
0: (laughs) Ah, uh, so far, it's so very good. hard, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, at times it gets hard to you know keep track of everything that is going on, uh, but I guess that's how it is. Uh, so far, so good for me, yeah, yeah I guess
2: that's nice. been the journey for yeah, I guess that's been the journey for everyone in crypto, you know they're starting with Bitcoin, trying to understand what it is, and then eventually you know creeping up from there,
0: yeah, for sure, uh okay, guys, so uh, my next question is uh, if you want to explain a bit about like what DeFi India is. And uh, why you guys started this uh, or what is your objective? What are you trying to achieve with DeFi India?
2: Sure. So look, I mean, uh, we're all, of course, uh, fully aware on the same page that, you know, crypto is seeing a massive adoption through the world, uh, particularly in India. So a fair estimate of the number of crypto users, and this has been hotly debated uh, recently, if you've seen some of these tweets, is I think the fair estimate is a fair estimate is between 2 to 3 crore users. In fact, mm-hmm. more recently, CoinBCX pointed out that uh, they've hit 1 crore user the one crore user mark. So between CoinDCX, the ZRX, OneSwitch, Cooper, and things like these, I think exchanges like these, I think were easily more than, you know, three to four crore users who are into crypto, essentially actively or passively. Now, you know, uh, from that market, uh, we've got about over 18,000 tokens, I guess, roughly. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I won't be sort of, uh, you know, going out on a limb when I say that 99.75% of this market is pure garbage. And I'm sure you guys would agree. Uh, so, you know, that leaves about 0.25% of the 18,000 token market, which is maybe roughly about 25, 50 tokens. Now, you know, we've got scam coins, which either, you know, don't deliver, something like Cardano. Uh, and I'll I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm take the liberty of naming these projects because, yeah, I think uh, that's, that's the culture of the community. Or, you know, coins which essentially have no future, something like XRP, and you still have a huge army, you know, you've got folks uh, pumping these coins and shilling these coins on Twitter. And, uh, you know, most of them, most of these actually have no future at all. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. So, for instance, uh, some folks, you know, we've seen, again, We've seen some projects recently and, you know, any any person with uh, a little bit of a normal, you know, economics or commerce or, you know, common sense background would agree that high APY projects can't sustain. So the reality is you either have high APYs with high inflation, which means that your token values essentially, you know, decrease by the day or you have low APYs with controlled appreciation and prices, so you see a rise in prices of some of these tokens. You can't have both. Generally, you can't. In some of these projects, when you see, you know, stroke from one of these devs, maybe yes, but 99% of the time, it doesn't work. Uh, but we've, you know, on and off, we've seen projects like Home Finance, again, uh, you know, which were to replicate the reserve system and essentially took a lot of money, set up a DAO. Uh, the token market cap essentially became 5x of the reserve balance. Uh, And, you know, sort of the backer said that it it will continue growing because they're doing something different, but they weren't really doing anything different. And, you know, its latest price, I think, is about $70, $75 when I last checked. And the market cap is more or less closer to uh, the total reserve that uh, the Treasury has at home. And then we see, we saw a bunch of replicas of home as well come up where, you know, everyone started saying the 3,3 meme, So the bracket 3,3 meme, where, you know, you, you shouldn't sell... You should stake and huddle and things like those. And the entire community went behind that. A lot of naive, innocent users essentially saw that, you know, this is the best way to make a lot of wealth overnight. Uh, unfortunately, most of these, you know, most of these stories, uh, you know, it, it, it just end, end up badly. So, you know, that, that sort of made us believe that uh, India as a demography, you know, I mean, will have a lot of these participants. So just to give you a perspective, uh, India has, of course, everyone's spoken about this. India has the largest youth population. We've got 470 million people. So that's 47 crore people, uh, individuals essentially, that are between 15 to 34 years old. And only 20% of these folks actually have formal employment. So 20% leaves about 400 million people still with no means of any formal employment. When I say no means of formal employment, it means no... Paychecks or you no know, certainty from one paycheck to another. Now, these, mm-hmm. you know, these individuals, 470 million people, and, and by the way, if you carve out a nation with these 470 million people, you'd see China and then India old population and then India youth. So that's how, you know, that's how populated our youth population is. And uh, essentially, these, these guys are all looking to become uh, early participants in your ways and products and services, right? Because every generation has seen its asset class. And that asset class has to you know, be created within that generation and absorb the wealth of all the older generations cumulatively. So essentially, uh, the generation of our parents saw a little bit of real estate, but a lot of uh, equities. So again, just to give you perspective, Nifty started at ni- in 96, Nifty 50, mm-hmm. with 100 on the index, and it's currently 17,500. So in about 26 years, 25 years, it's uh, given a 175x growth, so that's what the previous generation saw. The one before that was primarily in real estate and gold. So every generation, of course, has its own asset class which people participate in and create wealth. And you know, we believe that one of these asset classes for our generation would essentially uh, be crypto. And you know, this will help in tremendous wealth creation and you know, essentially leave, help them leapfrog through the wealth gap that exists between you know their generation and the predecessors. So, you know, I mean, look, our primary mission at DeFi India from day one, since we've uh, started operating the handle, and even in our personal lives, uh, you know, through our networks and social networks and family has been to provide general education, awareness and actionable insights, you know, on crypto, crypto products, protocols, regulations and trades. Uh, We're not full time content creators or crypto influencers. I'm sure you must have seen that tweet that I had a couple of days out that, look, we're not into this full time. We're only here to spread general awareness, uh, you know, and that includes general awareness, not only on crypto, but on finance and economics as well. And, uh, you know, you must have seen us, we generally pop in and out during, you know, kinds of events. So if you remember, you caught us in one of these uh, Twitter Spaces session that Pashif, uh held, where, you know, Tammy and, and I got into, uh, uh, you know, discussion around how value can be tracked across uh, protocols through chain analysis. This was, you know, just when the parliamentary debate uh, around the crypto ban was getting really famous. And then very recently, you probably saw us again tweeting very actively around the crypto tax. And we were one of the first ones to actually highlight the issue of 194S. So while everyone was busy uh, sort of uh, complaining and, you know, uh, complaining about the 30% tax, we were one of the first ones who actually highlighted that 194S, the TDS section, actually, the 1% uh, withholding tax on exchanges. Will actually kill the industry and it's just going to completely, you know, demolish the Indian uh, trade book uh, essentially in the order book. And so, you know, to your question in short, uh, you know, we, we don't really have a vision per se at the moment for DeFi India. Uh, we're in this because we love the community, we'd like to see it grow. We, we love the fact that, you know, there's a lot of genuine adoption and widespread awareness. Uh, we're happy that, you know, there are a lot of other well, full-time content creators and influencers from India in the space, spreading a lot of knowledge, uh, uh, you know, to ensure the general well-being of the, all the participants in India. So for the foreseeable future, at least, uh, we'd like to stick to providing valuable inputs. And then maybe, you know, when the time's right, we try to figure out uh, a place for ourselves in the larger ecosystem, uh, in the larger India crypto ecosystem.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Uh so I would, I, I would like to come back to, you know, the point of like TDS and the 30% tax that the uh, finance minister yeah. has announced, uh, we'll come back, come to that uh, in a while. Uh, but uh, overall, I understand that the numbers are uh, somewhat infl- inflated for the total number of crypto users in India, some newspapers or some media houses has reported it has like more than 100 million, uh, whereas that is not true. Uh, Collectively, yes. it seems to be like twenty to thirty million is the right number to you know talk about. Uh, i uh, I mean I agree to that point and uh, yeah, I mean India does have like the um, highest number of young population across the world. Uh, crypto can definitely serve as the wealth creation for this particular generation. And um, uh, there is definitely need for, uh, you know, uh, enhancing awareness about the right, providing right knowledge, uh, providing right information to the people. So that is what I uh, get, like, DeFi India stands for as of now. And that is what you guys are going to continue to do. Uh, Pat, you want to uh, chime in and uh, talk a bit about it?
1: Uh, Yeah, no, no, I I agree with this uh, as well. At the moment, DeFi India is here to ensure uh, that more, more and more people know about what um, this entire new sector is. Web3, decentralized finance, metaverse, NFTs, all of this stuff. We cover all of those things. And one of our goals is also to ensure that people don't get rugged or to help people um, you know, not <laughs> lose money on stupid things without doing some due diligence. So if we catch anything like that, we always post it and we try to spread the awareness on that. Um, and over the long term, we just hope to contribute to the community and help everybody grow in this new ecosystem, and then um, see how it goes over the next couple of years.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Of in course. fact, you probably you probably didn't see, but Pat was one of the first guys to actually expose uh, the Bollycoin project. So that's that's a conversation for another day. But you mm-hmm. know, he actively tweeted <laughs> it out and said that how this yeah, the Salman Khan, Salman Khan,
0: Bollycoin.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: I got a quick so I I got a quick anecdote that like uh in the uh, yeah, the Polycoin thing, I think they launched it, Salman Khan launched it. I had to be on Twitter that he tweeted and 10 or 15 seconds after, I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. Let's see what this is. And I went onto the website and I saw the white paper and I was just like, my God, they spelled their own coin's name wrong. There was no specific details. If you actually went to Etherscan and you looked at um, you know, where the coins were going, it looked like they kept a lot of them in their own treasury wallet and it was just entirely shocking the way it was done um and untransparent and stuff so yeah i was i was one of the first ones to go on and start talking about it more very vocally um so things like that is what we hope to do as well over time as this industry um you know grows yeah, to help yeah. people understand those things
0: yeah and we need that these kind of voices which would uh, you know actually understand what is going on and uh if you should believe it or not because like uh, i mean the yeah, even though you said that one of your goal is that to you know uh, help people from getting rug pulled but like i guess that is also very hard because crypto defi nfts these are these have become metaverse uh, these have become like uh uh buzzwords all around and everybody is trying to you know make a quick buck they think that this is get rich mm-hmm. quick scheme, and they don't mm-hmm. pay much attention if their favorite star is coming up with some sort of nft they would be like yeah this is something legitimate let me put some money mm-hmm.
2: his movies are better though so that's okay
0: <laughs> Uh okay. Uh all right, guys. Uh I understand like what you guys are trying to do. I think that is the right thing uh or right path to take. And we definitely need uh your voice to get uh, keep getting louder and louder as we progress. Um okay, so uh let us uh, uh talk a bit about uh basics of uh some uh crypto narratives like DeFi uh and then certain things uh, within that uh, ecosystem, and then probably we will get into like Uh, India-specific regulations, what the government is saying and how people should approach it. But uh, to start with, uh, how do you guys define uh, DeFi?
1: Yep, so uh, DeFi in general, for people who don't know, stands for decentralized finance. Uh, So finance, everybody knows. So what does decentralized mean here? So decentralized here basically means you could do all types of financial transactions without an intermediary or a gatekeeper. So normally, for all types of financial transactions you do today, you either interact with a bank or you interact with a broker or you interact with a service provider like Paytm or BharatPay and so on. In decentralized finance, code is law and you don't deal with any sort of intermediary. You deal directly with a piece of code, which is generally also referred to as a smart contract. And the code does all the computation and everything that is necessary for the transaction to go through um, and work. So no middleman, no central control, no central um, database, so to speak, uh, or no gatekeeper that can prevent you from joining um, into the entire global finance financial ecosystem that we're building now. Um, so a simple example for people to take away is that DeFi flattens the world. So imagine uh, you're just a farmer somewhere in India where um, and you want to participate you know you've you've self-taught yourself you want to do good for yourself you want to grow you want you know you want to set your children up uh, for the future and stuff and you figured out that you know i really need to invest in this one or two funds for example mm-hmm. but those funds right now are being run out of uh, new york you know manhattan and elon musk is inven- invested in it jeff bezos is invested in it um, and so on. So how does this farmer in, um, in India who's educated himself and he, he knows what's going on and he really wants to be a part of that, there's, how does he actually even participate in that? It's not possible at the moment. It's impossible. It's impossible even for very, very connected people. Maybe only somebody like Ambani can get access to the same sort of funds that Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos have in, um, you know, interest in. None of us could um, actually get, that, uh, get access to that. So basically, decentralized finance allows you to get access to any of these things with a single click using a web wallet. So a web wallet like MetaMask and stuff. The farmer in India can go like, okay, you know, I really like this. I want to get exposure to the same sort of assets as Elon Musk has, in New York. Um, and as long as that fund actually, you know, participates in the DeFi ecosystem, you log on, you transfer some USDC. In today's case, maybe in five or ten years, we'll have an Indian rupee stablecoin. And you just click and you commit your money to the fund um, in New York. And it can all happen in a single click uh, with no hassles. And it flattens the world and it makes it a fair playing place. So you are participating in the same wealth creation effect as, is, as with Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos in that example. So mm-hmm. that's the power of decentralized finance. Um, and that's why we really look at it because we are from the financial sector as well. And we can really see the power of this. No more closed gates, private, private boys clubs, or so on and so forth, it flattens the world and everybody gets access to the same opportunities.
0: Uh, Okay. Yeah. I mean, I get that uh, example. Uh, It's like very well explained. Uh, But uh, do you guys want to talk a bit about like a, a a uh, well, very basic use case of traditional finance and uh, what are the products or protocols that you can do in decentralized finance today. Uh, investing in a fund, uh, which is like traded at a global stage uh, is certainly, uh, I mean, a good example. A lot of people can relate to, but say for example, what things that I do uh, with my bank today, I go to my bank, I deposit my money, I uh, get some interest on it, or I go to a bank to get a loan, uh, Yep. Or I go to my bank to you know get an insurance uh, of sorts. So uh, so the question here is like, uh, what protocols uh, in the DeFi ecosystem you think has uh, have real w- world utility today, uh, and yep. which you can use instead of going to a traditional finance bank?
1: Okay, so um, I'll split this uh, question into two parts. So first, I'll split DeFi into five categories that are very important now, okay. um, and then I'll talk about the use cases per category and how the, you know, the common man can start using DeFi today and, you know, then you can project it to how you could use it in the future. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So the five categories uh, that DeFi could be roughly split into today is one, borrowing and lending protocols. So that is the same as your bank, your, you know, ICICI, Kotak or your um, uh, SBI or so on. So it's like a digital bank that runs on the blockchain. Uh, And examples of the protocol are Aave and Compound. So let's say you've got, um, you know, uh, 500 bucks of Ethereum um, and you really wanted to get some rupees in return or dollars in return. You could go to Aave and you can pledge your um, Ethereum over there. You can start getting interest on that. You can borrow on the back of that uh, Ethereum and you can also lend that Ethereum and start getting interest on in that. So it's quite similar to the banks that you have right now. You know, you get some rupees, you put it in the bank, and then you get an interest on that, and uh, you get a you know seven eight mm-hmm. percent interest, whatever the term deposit rate is. So that's already available in DeFi um, in the borrowing lending sort of sector with Aave and Compound. That's part one. There's part two now. Uh, the second second part of the DeFi category, which is uh, DEXs, also known as decentralized exchanges. So some of the examples of this are Uniswap, Sushi Swap, uh, DYDX. Um, what do these dexes allow you to do? They allow you to exchange certain tokens, so from one to another. So right now you need brokers to do that. So you'd have to log on to one of your uh, brokers with a DMAT account uh, to be able to swap between one share to another share of a company. Uh, but Uniswap, Sushi Swap, and um, DYDX and protocols like that, they allow you to. Um, Uh, just swap in a trustless way so you can swap from any asset to any asset uh, without Mm -hmm. having to use any broker or paying any of those uh, uh, fees and other compliance sort of issues and all of that stuff so it's very trustless in that sense. Um, The third category in DeFi right now that is happening is derivatives. Derivatives is basically um, anything that is not vanilla sort of financial product um, such as options or synthetic stocks or uh, you know, even perpetual futures um, that some people in the trading world would know. Um, so they actually allow you to just, you know, speculate on the movements, go long, go short, do things like that in a trustless way as well. So in, um, in the DeFi category, you could do that using DeFi, DYDX or synthetics and mirror protocol and things like that. Um, so those are derivatives, mm-hmm. um, which is a third category. Uh, It's obviously for a little bit more advanced users. Um, So right now, if you wanted to do derivatives, um, there are not many options for the normal person. Like you can just go and buy stocks, but short selling is a pain. You can't really, you know, buy you can buy some futures and options, but it's uh, there's certain restrictions on volumes and stuff. Uh, But in using DeFi, you could do it with the global, you know, global stocks and global exchanges. You could you could tomorrow if you thought that Samsung listed in Korea is going to go up or down. You can even start trading that, you know, you're not restricted to what's in India only.
0: Plus you can like uh, uh, do futures and option on any of the crypto assets, unlike in traditional markets that is available only for say limited stocks within uh, the India, within India also, I mean, forget about the uh, international markets, but within India also you can do that only on select few stocks. And, uh, yes. and I think, uh, I'm not sure of this, but I guess there is a margin restriction uh, for stocks and that should be very uh, high in like uh, DeFi derivatives, uh, if you guys have any idea.
1: Yes, normally all the derivatives in DeFi, because it's such a new place, it's always over collateralized. So over collateralized basically means uh, the simplest example here is if you want to buy $100 worth of things um, or trade on $100 worth, you need to have at least $150 in your account. So there's always always a 50% over collateralization requirement, usually in a lot of the derivatives in this space. Um, um, and even protocols like synthetics and Mirror, you always need to over collateralize. Um, so that's because it's in the formative stages right now. Liquidity is weak and stuff, mm-hmm. but we hope to see that grow over the next couple of years. So that's the third category. I'll quickly go to the fourth and the fifth one as well. So the fourth one is just simply payments. So... Uh, I'm not sure if you saw, but Solana Pay uh, is a thing right now, which allows you to basically transfer money from India. Let's say somebody's in Antarctica and let's say they accept US dollars. You could send something from uh, India to Antarctica in under two seconds and it'll be in the person's wallet in Antarctica. You can mm-hmm. send it to somebody in the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. It'll be there in under a second and you'll pay a fraction of a cent in fees. and It'll be there in two seconds. So payments is a huge thing as well. So right now within India, you've got a lot of, uh, lot of payment options like Paytm, Bharat Pay, all of that. Um, however, the moment you go international payments, it gets very painful. You know, uh, how do you pay that? The, the fees required. The, I mean, the fees are just ridiculously high, like $20, $30, $40. Um, it's just ridiculously high to get even a small transaction through. So payments is uh, another use case Optify. And the last use case is asset management, which is what I explained with the farmer case, uh, where you mm. could spin up a fund in India tomorrow, or you could spin up a fund in New York, or in Finland, or in Korea, for example. Korea is hot right now, with you know Samsung and Kia and Hyundai. All these brands are there. You could spin mm. up an asset management firm there, and anybody in any part of the world can participate in 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 a fund from anywhere in the world, which is very important because when you think about it, there's a lot of people in the world uh, that don't have access to proper financial products or serious fund managers. I mean, they're basically just doing payday lendings and, you know, day-to-day loans and stuff. I mean, it's, it's hard for them. So having a formal sort of structure there um, where they can invest where, you know, the actual smart money is invested is actually a beneficiary for the entire world. So that asset management can be done right now as well uh, using DeFi. And there are two or three important protocols there as well, including set protocol. It's uh, there's a, a uh, thing called syndicate.io where you can start mm-hmm. your own fund there and ask people to start pledging funds into that. And you can, you know, structure it in a uh, like a decentralized fund so you can buy different things, different assets. Um, and I think they'll be getting stocks and stuff soon as well. So you can have decentralized sort of fund management as well in um, in that. So those are the five yeah, sort of point, categories.
2: And just one point over here, so Chetan uh, I'm sure you'd yeah. appreciate that all of these, all all countries globally, including India. Uh, they have really complex regulations and policies around uh, the minimum net worth that you need to participate in these uh, fairly complex uh, products, you know, and these, these are really high yielding, sort of high risk reward uh, uh, products and services. But like, for instance, in India, SEBI has a minimum uh, net worth criteria for one crore rupees if you want to invest into, you know, it could be, it could be a venture capital fund, it could be a hedge fund. Uh, mm-hmm. you can't even short sell as a retail guy, you know, there's no short selling allowed except for that one or two day window that they, you know, essentially have to square off the position on the same day. And, uh, of course, like with what Pat mentioned with asset management in Texas, uh, that's no longer a concern because you're not governed or ruled or restricted by any one of these regulations where do not allow the normal retail participant, uh, to become an active sort of uh, player within that, um, segment.
0: Yeah, for sure yeah i mean that that is a very good uh, framework uh, like uh, five different categories broadly you can look at it uh, and i think uh, for a normal person uh, who does only basic banking and uh, who want to you know uh, kind of gradually explore further i think the two uh, out of those five two make most sense to start with probably uh, borrowing and lending is something that uh, people can start with where they can earn a higher interest than their bank account uh, gives them Uh, plus they don't have to do uh, KYC of sort and they can like uh, explore multiple different options and the second one I think would be very valuable is payments. Uh, Of course uh, within India payments are like very seamless these days but uh, going forward uh, out of India payments or if the or you know uh, within india merchant customer to merchant payments can also be uh, through crypto and that can be like really um, value adding and then uh, certainly uh, DEXs make a lot of sense uh, next uh, if you want to like invest into different crypto uh, assets and then if you want like if you have more money and if you want to uh, uh, have access to more financial products which is not possible for like low net worth individuals so to say due to the guidelines uh, regulatory guidelines mentioned by sam so people uh like that uh, can get access to like derivative products and then asset management products so yeah i mean that is a nice framework to think about it uh makes a lot of sense
1: i would like to add one more thing um, so you know uh we we talked about uh all the different ways people can use it so yes you're right with lending you can lend stable coins and get extremely high interest rates because you don't have to worry about the entire financial infrastructure of you know databases atms offices all of that stuff you just have a web wallet and you get a high yielding interest rate and again this is equal for all so mm-hmm. the interest rate that for example uh, elon musk might get is something that you can get as well in decentralized finance in an ideal world now dexes actually are not only important for swapping products but one of the crucial points in that as well is starting your own project so raising capital mm-hmm. and bootstrapping your project as well uh, so there's a lot of these ido's which are referred to as initial dex offering so if you've got an idea Historically, you had to go and you'd you'd have to go to VC funds. You'd have to go and pitch to so many people. They would have very unfavorable sort of conditions. They'd want 50%. I'm sure some people have seen Shark Tank. They'll want 30%, 40% of your equity. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, they'll give you favorable terms, sometimes unfavorable, sometimes favorable and so on. But in DEXs, you can launch an initial DEX offering. And as long as your product is good and you believe in it and, you know, you have some YouTube videos explaining to the community what you're doing, you can raise capital without having to dilute your equity at all. Like, you can raise a lot of capital. You don't need to pay bankers. You don't have to pay VC funds. You don't have to do a lot of that stuff. So it really helps, uh, you know, bootstrapping projects and, uh, you know, building, building uh, projects from the ground up and stuff as well. Um, And not only that, there's a lot of people who have, you know, uh, sometimes not that much, but sometimes a lot of uh, stocks that are just sitting there. For example, uh, you know, some people have five crore rupees worth of stocks in their stock portfolio or something. Now, what do you think? What do you think the banks are doing with them? Do you think they're just sitting there? No, there's actually an entire securities lending desk that actually that that actually then uses those stocks and lends them out to other people. And then banks make a fat commission on top of that as well. So that's how the entire short selling and long market and everything else happens. So with DEXs in the in the future uh, in an ideal world, you pledge that liquidity yourself into a pool and you get the commission. So right now the banks are obviously undercutting you and taking a huge commission on your entire portfolio. But in the future, you can be an LP into one of the pools and you get like, you know, a yield on your uh, for providing liquidity or a cut of the fees. So it's really, really, really getting rid of all the centralized sort of entities that are just sitting there seeking rent, trying to get money from uh, people from you know different ways. And it makes it really, really, really transparent. And you get a chunk of everything that you make um, with higher yields, liquidity provision fees. Uh, you, know, you, you get a lot of that stuff uh, for yourself instead of, you know, giving it away to bankers and VCs. So that's another important point with DEXs as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, certainly, I mean, crowdfunding is one and uh, have, providing your own liquidity and getting its benefit without any third party involved in between. Yeah, I mean, that is a, uh, that is huge. Uh, uh, talking of like crowdfunding uh, before dexes, uh, I guess the 2017 uh, bull run was all around ICOs and uh, a lot yeah. of projects that we see today are uh have emerged from that ico boom uh, of course i mean 95 percent of them have failed but uh the handful of which have survived uh are doing well so uh, if you can just quickly uh, you know uh, give drop some names of projects that uh, across all these five categories which you think uh have are like doing good and have created good utility for the users
1: sure um so I don't know if they did ICOs because some of them did the coin list sort of thing, because I think projects that are coming out of the United States, they cannot just do an ICO or IDO because the regulators were really after them. So they went through the coin list offering, which is a bit more organized sort of way of doing that. Uh, But roughly uh, in terms of the five categories, the top picks over there, which I would consider blue chips now. And I say blue chips, that means the chance of rug pulling is low. The chance of hacks are low. It's well you know, well teams. They know what they're doing. It's not some anonymous person who's just running it that can take all your money and run away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're talking about some of the blue chips. So in the borrowing and lending space, uh, without a doubt, it's Aave uh, and Compound. So Aave is AAVE, which is mm-hmm. um, a very famous borrowing and lending protocol. They're currently on Ethereum and they're also on Avalanche. Um, and I think eventually they have plans to go on to other chains as well. And in fact, they have an institutional product as well. Uh, so, Aave is really uh, getting very, it's, it's blue chip there, um, very nice. Yeah. And Compound as well is good there. In the DEX space, you have Uniswap, uh, which is obviously very good, especially with uh, Uniswap, Uniswap version 3, which actually helps you have constrained liquidity in a certain range. Uh, for stable swap sort of pools, you have Curve and so on. I would have talked about SushiSwap right now, but they've had a couple of dramas recently, and it's to be seen if they emerge from that. You know, unscathed. It's,
0: it seems risky to talk about Sushi Swap right now.
1: <laughs> I agree. So I normally, historically, it was going all right, but they've had a lot of dramas recently, so I can't recommend that. Uh, so yeah. in that sense, at the moment, it's Uniswap um, on Ethereum, um, and um, uh, yeah, Uniswap for DEXs basically is okay. a is a good one. Uh, there are other protocols like on Solana, it would be Radium, which is blue mm-hmm. chip. Uh, on Avalanche, it would be Trader Joe. So obviously, every sort of major L1 has their own sort of Uniswap clone, which they've retrofitted to you the know, needs of that ecosystem. Yeah. In derivatives, uh, hands down, DYDX is very good, which is, and in fact, DYDX actually at some point had a high, which is fantastic. And I think that actually happened, that coincided with the China ban. So I think China started banning a lot of those Wobi exchanges and a lot of the exchanges in China But it just went to decentralized trust list um, exchange like DYDX. Um, so DYDX in the derivative, sp- derivative space is really good. Options, I would recommend if you don't know what you're doing, stay away from it at the moment because that the pricing of options is still very, very weird in this entire ecosystem. So there's no DeFi options play right now that is that I can recommend. Uh, there is a centralized one, which is Deribit, uh, but there's no DeFi or decentralized sort of way of doing options at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. In payments, there's obviously just the standard wallet to wallet transfer. Uh, I mean, I would recommend Solana there because it happens in under two seconds um, mm-hmm. and it's a fraction of a, se- a fraction of a cent for fees. Um, I mean, Ethereum, you have to pay a couple of bucks and Avalanche as well. So Solana is pretty good for just standard payments. And for asset management, Uh, I I can recommend two things, which are really nice blue chip, which is the set protocol, um, Mm -hmm. which allows you to create an index of different assets. Um, And then there's syndicate.io that allows you to create your own fund, basically. So if you've got a good um, model and you, you know, you you're in the industry or you want to create your own fund, anything, you've got great ideas. uh, You can go and create your own fund in a, a decentralized way and, Uh, start raising capital basically through marketing YouTube or so on and so forth um, and raise capital that way. Yep.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, I think it makes sense for uh, any new person who is like trying to explore this ecosystem. Uh, It is better to stick with like blue chip uh, uh, projects that have proved themselves and they know what they are doing instead of like uh, going into some new project just in the hope of like making quick money overnight. So uh, thank you for those yep. recommendations. i think those are, that is a very comprehensive list uh, to look into uh, so before we talk about like india specific regulation i just had one another question uh, to uh, so that so sort of like to build a better understanding for people to uh, you know uh, get involved into defi uh, how do you guys uh, see the role of stable coins in defi ecosystem uh, how do you define stable coins and why they are important
1: so Stablecoins are extremely important now still in the ecosystem. Uh, so let me first define stablecoins because actually a lot of people don't know what a stablecoin is. Sure. A stablecoin is basically um, something that tracks the value of a fiat currency. So it's one-to-one. So at the moment in the market, we have US dollar stablecoins with a USDT, US dollar tether, and USDC with um, the circles US dollar stablecoin. And that stable coin is always one-to-one. So it's always going to be backed one-to-one with a real United States dollar. I mean, in theory, of course, they're backed by other type of securities in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but a stable coin should always be one-to-one. There's no Indian rupee but coin, but there, are, there is a British pound stable coin. There's an Australian dollar stable coin. There's a Euro stable coin. So a lot of those stable coins are coming. And I think it's a matter of time before uh, one of the larger exchanges in India or somebody starts launching an Indian stablecoin as well. Mm. So that was so a, there was one, by
2: the way, there was one recently that I read about, uh, not really researched on it yet. It's called the True INR. And uh, I think it was in Twitter a couple of days ago, which spoke about it being an Indian stablecoin. But that was just for context. I don't think either one of us has it yet. So I guess we're not going to talk about it in detail.
1: I think True is trying okay. to build a business there. So I don't want to segue there, but I think True is trying to business there because True actually has... True is the one that has the uh, Hong Kong dollar, Euro, Singapore dollar, Australian dollar, New Zealand dollar. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that have be Indian rupee as well. So they're trying to play that other FX game in that sense, stable coin game. So maybe maybe that's uh, mm-hmm. a stable coin there. So that's the definition of a stable coin. It's always one-to-one. So that's the definition of... A, now there are two types of stable coins as well. One is a centralized stablecoin, which is like USDT and USDC. What do I mean by when I say centralized stable coin? What I mean is in theory, they say that the one dollar, the USDT or USDC that you have is backed by one dollar, one US dollar in a bank account somewhere in the world. So it's a one-to-one backing stablecoin. Um, there's also a concept of a decentralized stablecoin, and the most popular uh, one out there right now is DAI and USD. So DAI is a stable coin, and it's sort of an algorithmic stable coin in that sense, or over collateralized stable coin, I should say. So what happens is um, you have a bunch of Ethereum, let's say 100 bucks worth of Ethereum, and you pledge that into a vault. And in return, you get $100 worth of this stablecoin coin DAI, so DAI, which is which is then convertible to U.S. dollars. And you, know, you could then participate in the rest of the ecosystem uh, using that. And... Um, There's UST as well, which is, again, an algorithmic stablecoin backed by Terra Luna. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it's the same sort of process where, like, you know, you have to bond Luna and then you'll get UST in return, uh, and which is considered a stablecoin. And then you can then, you know, use that to do other things within the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are the different types of stablecoins in the market at the moment. Um, Backed stablecoins with a centralized and then decentralized sort of stablecoins. And it's extremely important in the market, right? I mean, I don't think we've reached the space in the world right now where people have started denominating their wealth in Bitcoin or Ethereum. Everybody still denominates it in U.S. dollars. Um, And in this volatile market, people are always going to exit to fiat currency still right now. I mean, there's two things. All right. Let's say if tomorrow I told you the market's going to drop by 50%, what are you going to do first?
0: Move to stable coins.
1: Exactly so there are two things the true believers they won't even move to stable coins they'll move to bitcoin they'll say okay bitcoin is the king bitcoin has been around bitcoin is the gold and i'm going to move to bitcoin uh, mm-hmm. but 90% of the people will move to stable coins so the role of stable coins in the entire ecosystem is extremely important because it gives people a, an exit from you know the volatility in times of uncertainty if there were mm-hmm. no stable coins in the system then i mean <laughs> with this entire Derivatives market, payments market, all these markets wouldn't have been built because then you're only operating on, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum with nothing to sort of interchange and move around with or transfer value around in a stable way. So it's it kind of makes important. it easy
0: for people to understand the ecosystem and and for like uh, products also to, you know, build their unique solutions uh, uh, of all sorts.
1: Yes, hundred percent. We're not in the space where we denominate wealth in Bitcoin or Ethereum yet. Like if I told you that you know it's going to be six hundred quay for gas you're going to you're gonna say, what the hell are you talking about, right? Uh, and then if I tell you it's $3 or $6 for gas, you get it. You're like, okay, it's $6, okay. So because the industry is only, you know, it's less than 10 years old, I mean, some of this entire decentralized stuff is actually only two or three years old, actually, uh, not even more than that. So people are still stuck in thinking about things in a, you know, fiat currency way, like how much does it cost in dollars or rupees? Uh, maybe in a... You know, 15, 20, 25 years, I think maybe then people will actually start denominating in Sats or GUI for Ethereum. Uh, but that's, I don't see mm-hmm. that happening in our lifetime. So stable coins 100% required. And whoever cracks the Indian stablecoin market, in my opinion, uh, and if this space grows, is yeah, it's an easy, 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 easy business with a lot of, you know, a lot of money that you could make over there the the stablecoin space.
0: Okay. Okay, so one uh, like sort of follow up or a related questions. Uh, you uh, mentioned there are two types of uh, stablecoin. One are centralized, and other are algorithmic, uh, so to say. So uh, going forward, I mean looking into the future, maybe not too distant, but like short term, two years, three years. Uh, how do you see it? Uh, which one do you think will uh, you know prevail in the market?
1: There are two things. One, I personally, I think the centralized stable coins like USDC. Um, actually I would prefer USDC than USDT Mm -hmm. because USDT I'm not sure if people have seen they are backed by US dollars but about 20% roughly of their um, assets are actually backed in some sort of hybrid securities where they might have exposure to some junk bonds and stuff Uh, it's unclear and nobody's been able to totally clear that uh, to people so maybe about 20% of the books is not as clear Uh, but USDC is quite clear so USDC is a centralized stablecoin for the moment, uh, I would trust the centralized stablecoin. And I know it's against the ethos for now, but mm-hmm. for the moment, I'll trust the centralized stablecoin because no algorithmic stablecoin has had the track record of surviving for more than five years so far. DAI is there, but DAI has now started you know, doing multiple collaterals. So you, know, you could have a little bit of Ethereum. You can have some US dollars. You can have other sort of collaterals in it to back DAI. And I don't know what happens at a black swan event yet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In a black swan event, if you have uh, liquidations, like recently, I think last month, um, you know, the crypto markets crashed 30, 40, 50%. What happens if like $600 million worth of Ethereum had to be liquidated in one of the DAO vaults because somebody took leverage? And then does the die peg remain or what happens, you know, what happens in that sort of situation? Uh, and similarly for Luna, I'm pretty sure with UST, the algorithmic stable coins, we saw that, um, that you know if Luna dropped below 42 or something, uh, I haven't checked the math, but some people were claiming if Luna dropped below $42, then mm-hmm. the peg would be broken and then UST wouldn't be one-to-one backed anymore. Uh, and then it would go straight down to zero. So, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainties in the algorithmic stablecoins still, and none of them actually have a long enough track record for me to fully trust it. That being said, um, if the Federal Reserve or the United States government comes hard down on the crypto, on regulating crypto and going really hard, like, you know, we got to ban this and we got to stop all of these stable coins and do all of that stuff, then staying true to the ethos, you're going to be looking at a decentralized stable coin like DAI or USD because no central government, nobody in the world can ever control that, manipulate that, print that or whatever. So from an uh, ethos, from a DeFi India and DeFi ethos perspective, I support decentralized stablecoins, but at the moment, I wouldn't put too much of my money there because it's to be tested in the market. I would be more comfortable if they survive for another two or three years and weather a couple of more, you know, flash crashes and downturns and stuff. That's when I'll build faith in them, um, you know, a, a little bit more.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's like uh, both are risky, but uh, at the moment, and ideally, you would want a, a algorithmic stable coin uh, for the larger ecosystem. But at the moment, it seems like the risk is less in centralized stable coins than in uh, these algorithmic coins. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Okay. Yeah, I think that gives a fair bit of idea about like what uh, you guys are, or about uh, what DeFi is, and uh, what stable coins is. Uh, the, the sort of like what I wanted to, you know, uh, cover, and uh, let us uh, a bit uh, move a bit about like India-specific uh, things, like um, uh, what the government has been talking about. Uh, About crypto, uh, like for years now, uh, starting from the RBI ban, that was like cautionary notice provided by RBI. Then banks created a lot of friction in between banks stop providing services to crypto exchanges, even though RBI had no such rule to, you know, uh, uh, ask them to stop uh, providing services. And now uh, further, they were talking about banning uh, cryptocurrencies, they had certain bills presented in the parliament. We don't know what the contents of that bill were. We just know the headline it was uh, mentioned, but uh, and now in this budget session, uh, the government comes out with a 30% tax and 1% TDS. So uh, let us talk about TDS and uh, 30% tax as well. But uh, uh, Sam, if you could uh, explain like, how are you reading this? How the government is looking at the space and how it has evolved in the like like last two, three years? Absolutely.
2: So look, I mean, the government, specifically RBI, has been apprehensive around this, uh, of course, because uh, it threatens the stability of the Indian rupee, like they said, in, in more ways than one. Uh, the government not really been able to sort of uh, make up their minds. And, you know, for the good part of the last two years, this was not really a direct threat. And so, you know, they had more important things to do. Uh, the adoption, which really caught on thanks to the DeFi boom, uh, you know, uh, sort of say, plus a lot of these projects coming up over the past year, or, or you know, eighteen months uh, really sort of uh, promoted and encouraged a lot of growth in these exchanges. A lot of the volumes uh, came in. Lots of Indian guys started uh, coming to the space, and the government started taking attention. Now uh, we've seen on and off that you know every time they try to table this in the parliament, and then you know they can't discuss it because of obvious reasons. So even the last time when they were trying to table it in the winter session of the parliament, uh, the mm-hmm. fact was that it's not that easy because even if you have a bill, you have mm-hmm. to pass it through. You know, your internal committee, you have to get it through, uh, you know, uh, the desk essentially internally that that looks after this and the steering committee and things like those. And it it wasn't done. And the parliament session was on. So it it became pretty obvious that it was not going to get tabled in the parliament session. And they've tried doing this, you know, a couple of times over the past uh, 12 to 18 months only to fail. And the reason is, of course, they've met with a lot of resistance from the community one, again, for good reason. And second, because the space rapidly started evolving uh, itself. So 18 months ago, it was a lot easier to maybe place a blanket ban. But at the time, the government wasn't really bothered because the space was too small. And now when the government is actually bothered and they're considering, you know, from their perspective, maybe a complete ban or something, there's a lot of resistance from the community uh, with so many participants in the market. And uh, so essentially, time and again, we've seen they've preferred it. Uh, they had to bring out uh, taxation on this because it's been a key issue. Every person trading high volumes and invested, you know, in the market over the past two or three years has seen tax notices come their way. Uh, you know, tax officers, you know, alike have no idea on how to treat how to treat this income. Some guys are showing it as capital gains. Some guys are showing it as business income or other sources, and so no one had any idea. So at least with this in this budget, uh, and it was it was highly you know expected. For this to happen. They've uh, imposed the 30% tax. Uh, yes, it is punitive. Uh, but I think it's a step in the right direction. The government is trying to at least, uh, you know, meet us maybe not halfway, but 30% in the way. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, with time, with, with time, and, uh, you know, and that, yeah, no pun intended over there, by the way. But yeah, with time, of course, uh, okay. you know, yeah, with time, you know, the space will evolve. A lot of the guys developing from India, and we've seen, uh, Polygon now, which is essentially one of the richest valued startups to come out of India, I think only, uh, you know, maybe maybe even larger than PTM. I've not really checked <laughs> PTM's market cap off late after its uh, tank. So, you know, uh, with, with these developments coming up, the government's going to take notice. The government is keen on, on a lot of these Twitter spaces sessions. You would see that you've got some MPs and MLAs from different parties, like IMRB Party, BJP, these guys coming in. We've been approached by uh, some uh, you know, political journalists uh, to clarify mm-hmm. and, and you know, really just to talk about what uh, crypto is. Uh, unfortunately, a large part of the population still believes that cryptocurrencies are a substitute to the Indian rupee without really understanding that uh, uh, you know, the key economic value of a crypto asset is the underlying protocol and the fact that they're actually doing business. The fact that it's easily transactable doesn't make it a threat to the Indian rupee. But yeah, so, you know, in a nutshell, I think the 30% tax was expected. Uh, I'm surprised that they didn't create a new slab uh, for crypto specifically. It could have been as high as 40 or 50%, uh, but it's 30%, which is the highest tax slab. A lot of the guys who complain about it, you know, I feel them, of course. But the fact is that in India, if you're making anything more than 10 lakh rupees, anyways, you're taxed 30%. And you get taxed 30% on, you know, in terms like, you know, lottery or horse racing or things like those And the government sees this on par. Uh, the the good part about this is that at least uh, we're moving uh, to some sort of legitimacy compared to a complete ban. Uh, the bad part is, of course, we, we're starting very steep uh, uh, with the 30% uh, tax. And of course, with the TDS and, you know, the fact that you can't set off your capital losses and, you know, those... those more finer nuances
0: yeah for sure uh i understand that uh it is a i mean i'm i am of the belief that it is a good start uh because uh like before a couple of months we were talking about like the government were talking about like banning cryptocurrencies not explicitly but like those were the rumors uh, we all yeah. were hearing, and now it is like we are gonna tax this thing at thirty percent, whatever. So I think it is like uh, at least a positive a step, wherein like we are not talking yeah. about ban, we are talking about like how do we, you know, participate in this ecosystem, uh, l- make sure we have certain Absolutely. regulations, uh, make sure that uh, the ecosystem keeps uh, flourishing. We have, and India definitely needs uh, more entrepreneurs, more startups, more jobs uh, for our economy to grow so uh i am actually not uh, like uh, i don't i mean i don't want to talk much about it but like it can uh, it could have been like as high as 40 percent or 50 percent because the luxury tax is in that range and plus lottery and all these things those tax range into like 40 plus so i guess 30 yes. is decent to start with but um okay so it's let a little us- give
2: and take right so i think it's a little bit of give it's a little bit of take. i think uh we should look at it more from you know a neutral uh, standpoint we're hurt of course as the part of the crypto community but I think we should be happy that you know until a few months ago the boomers like you said uh, kept on saying that we'll see complete ban and reversing course from a complete ban to a regulated mm. industry is much harder than you know making your way through a 30% tax that getting it lower and we've seen that journey in equities as well in commodities as well where the government initially you know tax the hell out of you and then eventually realized that this is essential for capital allocation of uh, you know of the country, and then they started sort of uh, becoming more lenient around the space, and now they welcome it and, and they're happy about it.
0: Okay, okay. So the uh, the question I have here is like, uh, whenever a country decides to you know uh, think about regulating cryptocurrencies, like what is the first thing they do? Uh, is it like taxing the gains, or like what is the first piece of regulation that uh, has been done? Yeah. Like uh, otherwise, in other countries. <laughs>
2: So see, in terms of regulation, particularly for emerging markets, what's the key threat is capital flight. The government is very, very concerned about the stability of their own domestic currency because once you lose control, it's a riot. You know, the government can't function and it becomes a full-blown civil crisis. So for them, what's most important is the stability of uh, the currency. And for that, they need to ensure there is no capital flight. And that is one of the key areas of contention for the Indian government as well. And that's when we heard the fact that, you know, they'll ban uh, transfers from uh, your centralized exchanges to MetaMask or essentially to anyone else. And the thought process behind that is not because, you know, mere mortals like us, you know, not to cause inconvenience. But the thought process is it's very easy today for you to move value from, you know, just depositing Indian rupees into VazirX and moving Bitcoin out of the country. And if that continues happening and if people continue doing that to overseas assets or for whatever reason, it really threatens the stability of the, uh, of, of the Indian rupee and any other domestic currency. And so the government comes from the perspective, they're not really concerned about the taxes as well. Look, to be honest, the government in India, I think, has a budget of about 35, 40 lakh rupees, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Crypto is not going to make a dent. That I mean, it's not even if they tax is thirty percent, even if the tax is fifty percent, it's not like it's going to be a huge income revenue, you know, revenue source for the government today. Maybe in the future, pretty much in the future, but not today for sure. The government and regulations in any country will first focus on capital flight and making sure that uh, you know they don't lose control over their currency and people don't start moving money in and out of the country. Uh, just to give you an example, today if you want to move out money out of the country, the liberalized remittance scheme allows you to do that. Uh, to a quarter of a million dollars, that's two fifty thousand dollars. Anything beyond that, you need to seek the regulator's approval. If you're making an investment overseas as well, a lot of the times you need to seek RBI's approval uh, because they want to make sure that the money leaving the country is, you know, genuine and it's been declared, you know, as legitimate. At, uh, you know, its source of, you know, the source of the funds have been declared as legitimate. So that's the first area and the key area that countries look at when they're looking at crypto regulation and policies is to make sure that they can keep a track. Of what's coming in what's going out and who owns how much the tax part is really secondary uh it's it's easily doable as well you just have to go into a budget session and announce the percentage of tax and then that's it uh that's the more that's that's the easier part the harder part is to actually uh frame you know build a framework and policies around uh how people can operate within the space
0: yeah makes sense oh uh, okay on that point uh so is it safe to say that this is not like uh, uh... Done yet? uh, There will be a bill. There will be a law which will be proposed and that frame, and then it will go live.
2: 100%. So we've said this before. Yeah, we've said this before. The government is still trying to understand the space. If you go to a Sarkari Babu today. For him, you know, a cryptocurrency is still akin to akin to uh uh, uh you know any any other currency like Indian rupee or yen or something. They don't understand that these crypto assets represent underlying ownership protocols, which actually generate revenue. So something like an Ethereum generates eighteen billion dollars in revenue every year. So you're essentially buying a part of a startup. They don't see it that way. So mm-hmm. uh yes. So from that perspective, the framework is not there. The policy is not there. The government is completely blank. And, you know,
0: the crypto association as a whole and the lobby needs to sort of educate the government. Okay. Okay. So I I guess it doesn't make much sense to, you know, get deep into like, uh, uh, why 30% and how and uh, how 1% and why it makes a difference. But like, just to talk a bit about it, like how they are seeing it as of now, uh, when they say that we will do 1% TDS, does it mean that every time you do a transaction, to anybody uh, you will be charged yeah.
2: 1%. So it's not a charge it's withholding it's like a TDS on your right. salary where you know your employer withholds it and then it comes to your credit Uh, Now they have thresholds for individuals. I think if I'm not correct, if I'm not wrong, sorry. I think it's about 50 lakh rupees or something. But it really applies to exchanges, you know, where where it becomes a problem for traders. So and the reason TDS is so that if you're not declaring an income, say if you're getting an income from Nestle or Adani or Reliance, you can choose not to declare it. But what happens is because Adani is a large corporation, they will declare it in their TDS returns that we've given a hundred rupees worth of income to Chetan and we've been held one rupee. So even if you don't declare it, the government will come to know that, okay, you've not declared it, but Adani has declared that they've given you hundred rupees. And that's what they're trying to do with PDS through exchanges as well. They're trying to tell exchanges, you start with holding the 1%, uh, mm-hmm. so you know, if someone doesn't report their own income, we'll get to know through your returns anyways, that like this guy's withheld information. Then then you can go and start sending them legal notices. So that's the perspective and that's the that's the concept of TDS. Now the one percent, it's high. And I and I say that because the government probably doesn't even know you know, the volume of trades, they have a very rudimentary understanding, but they don't Mm -hmm. understand the 1% tax. Again, this was the concept that we brought in first on Twitter, that the 1% tax by the end of, you know, a certain number of trades, like 100, 200 trades, you'll actually end up losing your entire capital. So if you start with a thousand rupees, even if you sell at loss and get back 900 rupees, they will withhold 1% of the 900, which means Mm -hmm. 9 rupees. You'll be left with 891 rupees. The next time you trade, that keeps on happening. So by the end of the day, you'd actually have about 10%, 12% over 10, 12 trades locked in as TDS that only comes to you. Uh, so say if you make a trade on first April 2022, in July 2023 is when you file your return, and your refund will probably come by September or you know August to September 2023. So that capital gets locked in with the government for a you know for a period of one or one and a half years, and that kills the trader that kills the Indian order book. So people will suddenly start trading and you will see dried up volumes. So, you know, essentially I'm, I'm a hodler, you're a hodler, everyone's a hodler and traders have been, you know, because of this punitive, you know, because of this punitive regulation, traders have been this, you know, incentivized and discouraged. And then suddenly you see, you know, you know, volumes tank in, in Indian order books. And yeah, once so- that happens and the market becomes illiquid, you know, even a hodler start getting jittery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh- I, I mean, it. It when you try to understand it, it seems like I mean that is not practical, and that is not the government. Also, I mean they don't want people like moving to uh, moving money yes. to outside India uh, exchanges. So uh, I guess I mean as it as they have more understanding of it, they might they decide uh, not to go ahead with it or do some modification in the one uh, percent thing. Um, yeah and this is like uh i mean we are still talking about like what what has been proposed this is not like actually happening right now if you are trading today you don't have to nobody's withholding your one percent tds right no not today so they said effective
2: july 2022 and if you read the entire clause the government said that they have the ability or the power to sort of change it or enforce it or things like those so they've left uh, a clause over there uh you know leaving the flexibility for the government if you ask me I've seen the implementation of a variety of different bills like the gsc i'd mm-hmm. say it probably won't get implemented by july either it'll, it'll, it'll take a long while before it's implemented it might never get implemented at all because there are two two areas this one is that the government wants capital float they want the tds to come to them so that they can you know sort of have the revenue in their pockets earlier rather than later and the second is identifying people who are making money now the second problem if it's you know the key problem over there it can be Easily sort of uh, 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 you know, dealt with if exchanges start sharing all this information they don't necessarily have to deduct TDS uh, mm-hmm. but if it comes in a revenue part where the government is looking at it as a source of revenue which they've been very clear about uh, you know we'll, we'll have to see how much that revenue amounts to and how push, how strongly the push from the Indian proper community you know is
0: right right okay just for the benefit of listeners I mean uh, this is something the 30% tax and 1% TDS is something which has been proposed by the government but uh, it is not implemented yet and we need to uh, watch this space closely to understand it better and how it develops Okay, so uh, I guess, I mean, uh, Sam, do you want to, uh, you know, talk about anything else related to regulations uh, specific to India?
2: Uh, nothing as yet. The one thing that we've been uh, sort of encouraging the community to do for a while is that, you know, we have to set up a lobby or an association, an industry body that can mm-hmm. go and represent uh, with a United Front, that can go and represent our cost to the government. Without that, you know, if we have... You know people just complaining over twitter it's it's not going to work i i you know i'm sympathetic to the cause of course because I'm, I'm here myself but the fact is we need a stronger more official and formal way of communicating this kind of government which i'm sure you know sooner or later will happen
0: uh if i'm not mistaken i think there is one uh, such body uh, of exchanges uh which they uh, uh you know uh, used during yeah. the uh all uh, RBI banks. banking Hence,
2: so yeah. So hence, hence the word United Front, because when exchanges okay. do it alone, they look at their own benefit uh, and, you know, they have been the happiest of the bunch at the moment because, you know, there's taxability, you know, there's taxes. So they have a little more of a runway
0: now with legitimacy, but for users like yourselves and myself, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't help. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. All right. I mean, uh, I, I guess we are into the last uh, leg of uh, the podcast. And uh, here I want to uh, talk a bit about uh, like overall uh, crypto ecosystem. So we talked about like specific DeFi and we talked about like India regulations, but um, uh, just wanted to get some uh, some of your thoughts on the overall ecosystem. So to start with, uh, how do you guys, uh, I mean, uh, how do you guys see Bitcoin versus other cryptocurrencies because if you listen to some of these uh, bitcoin maxi arguments they are like uh, only bitcoin is what matters nothing else matter uh, i am certainly not a maxi uh, because i understand that two-thirds of the market is still uh, altcoins but uh, just wanted to get your perspective on that
1: yes i'll take this one uh, bitcoin has is, is a pristine collateral asset no doubt about that 100 percent. so i Agree with the maxis in the sense that Bitcoin is pure, Bitcoin is pristine. Yes. However, everything else doesn't have value is wrong, I believe. So Mm -hmm. Bitcoin, obviously, you know, it's uh, it's a very graceful sort of coming of it. Uh, Everything was locked when Satoshi made it. Satoshi is not to be found. Maybe he's passed away. We don't know. Uh, We have a fixed supply. We have a set inflation schedule and it's hard money in the sense that nobody can change uh, the uh, output of Bitcoin or the max supply of Bitcoin. Um, So what the main point of, um, I guess, argument for other people is that, you know, in all these other coins, uh, the DAO can get together, the developers can get together and change uh, the monetary policy. For example, for Ethereum, recently we had EIP 1559, which was actually (laughs) beneficial for the Ethereum users. Uh, But at the same time, you could see that they sort of changed the monetary policy because they said that, okay, now we're just going to burn a portion of this. Now what's to say that in two or three years, they're going to say that, okay, you know, now we're going to actually change the inflation because of X, Y, Z reasons, or we're going to burn this extra part because of X, Y, Z reasons. We don't know. There's always going to be some sort of uncertainty with all the other protocols. Um, I think even with Avalanche and Solana and some of these other coins, Avalanche, I believe, has a fixed supply of 700 million tokens. However, Mm -hmm. they haven't made it clear that if in three or four years or five years, if it becomes very popular, that a DAO can come in and a DAO can say that, hey, you know what? Let's just change the max supply from 700 million to a billion. You know that's possible. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. not impossible with a lot of these other tokens. So with Bitcoin, um, what you can find peace with is that that 21 million fixed supply is almost certainly not going to change because that will like that's just just not going to happen because that's the premise of the entire the entire belief system around Bitcoin, the religious sort of forever around it. Um, so that's what they actually. Um, that's that's what actually the Bitcoin guys actually think. That okay, no Bitcoin is real. It's true. It's fixed. And everything else is crap because you can change stuff whenever you want. Like you know, um, you know SushiSwap can go. Come on side. If you if you saw some of the dramas on SushiSwap, on DAOs, on Discord, they're like, let's fire this person. Let's move this treasury amounts. You know, let's do this. Let's do that. They're just changing. It's an ever evolving tokenomics thing. Which they don't feel comforted with. Um, so that's where they're coming from. However, um, I wouldn't discard this entire thing. The ALTS ecosystem is extremely, extremely, extremely powerful because that's what helps us build the new decentralized sort of world. Bitcoin's very dumb in a way that it's a payments thing, right? Point A to point B, you transfer it, it works, it's a store of value, fixed supply, fantastic, hasn't been hacked, has no rug pulls, no nothing, very stable, very nice, very trustworthy. Uh, however, that's, however, that's that, I mean, there's the lightning network and stuff that they're trying to do things with, and people are trying to build smart contracts on top of Bitcoin, but it, holistically Bitcoin is that that's 90, 99% of the volumes, which is just simply store value. Now, in order to build this entire decentralized world that we're looking at, which is, we're looking at NFTs, we're looking at metaverse, uh, we're looking at this decentralized sort of borrowing lending protocols, asset management systems, and so on you need programmability and with programmability, you need sort of some flexibility in the tokenomics because, you know, yeah, it, it just sort of, you can't have one or the other. You sort of need some of that flexibility in that. Um, so obviously, I mean, my, it, it's what you're comfortable with. If you, if you really like that fixed supply, that this is a fixed supply, it's going to change and I can sleep at sleep well with this. That's fine. That's your risk metric. That's fine. However, don't discard the either because they really have the potential to change the entire world that we live in right now with decentralized intermediaries, like absolutely change it. I can see it in the next 10 years that many of the smaller nations that are running their own tech stacks and infrastructures and all of that stuff will just say that, you know what, just screw it. We're not going to manage all of these costs, manage all of these things. We're just going to join, you know, for example, uh, DYDX. So we're going to join Serum and our list, our national stock exchange on this decentralized platform. Because then we don't have to worry about all the IT infrastructure security so on and so forth so that type of stuff cannot be built on bitcoin for example It can only be built on some of these other sort of protocols like you know ethereum or some layer two solution if it comes around or says solana or avalanche or whatever um so so yes i'm in the camp that both of them have their use case it just depends where you sit on the risk spectrum
0: yeah right uh one of the counter arguments that i mean uh so to say there is that uh, like these other L1 chains have high concentration, high centralization in terms of the funds or the tokens that, that are being held by the team and the mm-hmm. early investors. Uh, so uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, do you are you okay with that because people say that uh, it is still better than the traditional, tech businesses or traditional equity businesses where people do not really have option to, you know, uh, get involved until and unless a company does IPO. But here at least you have an opportunity to get involved in the project uh, right from the start. So how do you see it?
1: Yep. So that's a fair point as well. So some of the, every project has taken different tokenomics, hundred percent. So it's only a problem when it becomes a problem when the project becomes successful. So what people forget is, for example, Solana, I think Solana has the biggest reputation and it's a centralized VC coin. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, so many VCs have it. What people don't know is that uh, Anatoly or the Solana guy, he was actually pitching to people, you know, for months. And everybody just told him to bugger off. Everybody's just like, you know, just screw off, screw away. You know, there's so many other things like, you know, we're not interested in a project and stuff. And he was willing, more than willing to sell his tokens for three cents or 30, 30 cents, I believe, to a large percentage of whoever was willing to buy it. And nobody did it. Eventually, they listed as well. And I think uh, the infamous Sam Bankman-Fried tweet where Solana was trading under $3 and everybody is still calling his shit all the time and saying that, I mean, that was liquid sort of market there. You could have gotten access to it. Many people could have gotten access to it, but everybody sort of ignored it at that point. Um, And then when it became popular, then people started saying, oh, it's a VC centralized shitcoin. But what they don't realize is Yes, the VC is actually who believed in it, funded it, ran the nodes and stuff. It, it's huge capital infrastructure as well that's required to you know get a project off the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that sort of VC funding is sort of required. Um, and frankly, a lot of the people could have also gotten it on public markets, like in Solana's case, very early on when it was very very cheap. Then it just took off, and then people started finding you know mistakes on why how they did their tokenomics and stuff. Now, not all projects are a good, some of them really screw up on their tokenomics, like 90% is held by the team in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. Some of them are a bit fairer. But I think you cannot avoid the entire uh, VC angle right now. You could have avoided it with the ICOs, you know, in 2017, when the regulators weren't there, because that was raw crowdfunding. But the amount of rug pull scams that happened that, you know, forced the regulators to come in, and now you got VCs as a, a vetting sort of thing you know so like no shit doesn't get through like if VCs are backing it no, normally they've done their due do diligence before um, something actually you know moves up in the world and sort of comes onto you know coin market cap or coin gecko and starts trading and stuff so I think it can't be avoided tokenomics could be changed between you know some projects unfortunately not all of them get it right uh, but it's definitely a leg up from the traditional world where <laughs> where you know people you literally get, get 90% discounts and there's no access and by the time it what? IPOs it's like 500 times multiple already and then they just dump onto you immediately <laughs> something right? So, <laughs> yeah so
2: see one problem was that everyone complained in the TradFi industry that they don't get access to a lot of these early startups uh, you still do but it's, it's not very publicly available uh uh, and, you know, they generally can't get access. And the fact is that, you know, this is a venture sort of growth market with public market liquidity and people do get access to it, but no one's willing to really sort of stay committed and, you know, stay true to the course. So even early believers in Bitcoin probably already sort of started selling as soon as it went to 10x, 20x or something and dropped off sort of the holder list. And so I think this is this is an occupational hazard. I think it's the nature of the industry where you will always get a concentrated set of guys, early backing uh, you know, the protocol in the business. And then eventually they'll start distributing uh, their ownership amongst the larger crowd as in when uh, sort of the product matures. And so it's, I don't, I don't think it's a point to, you know, sort of complain like Pat said, everyone had access to it. And yet mm-hmm. folks decided not to get it back in the day. And then they start whining about it now. So it's sort of unfair.
0: Yeah, uh, makes sense.
1: Um, can I remind as well that a lot of the VC tokens and stuff are vested for four to six years. Um, yeah. or they're vested yearly basis and up to four years. So, I mean, we're in this industry, right? I mean, risk and reward. I mean, if you told me to lock up 10 crore rupees or something into a project and I can only take it out after four years, then I, I certainly need a, some sort of discount on my thing. I'm not going to go 10 crore for 10 crore, right? I, I need like a 30, 40% discount for taking that huge amount of risk uh, and opportunity cost for locking that up for four years. So I think, I think that's fair. And I think the VC is in the... Industry are necessary as a way of vetting the project and bootstrapping them and helping them. Um, right now, like ideally, the really really good projects don't even need VCs because with the if ICOs were allowed. But unfortunately, yeah, uh, there unfortunately there are more bad actors and good actors in the industry as well with all the ruck pulls and scams and stuff that the government had to come in and just, you know block ICOs basically, and that opened the market up for VCs basically. So that, now yeah. they've got a bigger piece of the cake.
2: Yeah. And for every successful, sort of every successful bet that they have, they probably have a hundred different, you know, sort of failed bets. And so they're also absorbing a lot of the, the R&D risk for the entire industry and allowing for everyone else to participate much later, later after essentially uh, sort of shielding them from from the early stage risk of these projects.
0: Yeah. VC money is actually, uh, it's like it, that money is actually helping you experiment with different types of st- stuff and then potentially one or two things will click, which will benefit everybody. So yeah. All right guys. Yes, I'm good.
2: No, I just said, absolutely. I agree.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, Alright, guys. I mean, I think uh, 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 it's been like more than an hour. Uh, I would like love to continue talking about NFTs and metaverse and all different elements and everything. But uh, I guess we'll we uh, we can connect for that uh, maybe sometime in the future. I mean, I would certainly be looking forward to it. And uh, uh, just to conclude this, if you guys uh, want to mention some. Uh, resources for people to understand uh, maybe some books some podcasts some courses or uh, how do you keep yourself up to date with stuff
1: okay um oh thanks thanks chaitanya as well by the way we enjoyed the conversation and it was uh and thanks for inviting us as well it's a pleasure um so in closing thoughts i think um first thing for people who want to learn more about the sector there's nothing as good as trying things out yourself just commit to yourself that you know just take five thousand rupees, ten thousand rupees, five to ten thousand rupees, or whatever. Just do it. Actually, get a MetaMask wallet, uh, get some Ethereum, or get Solana, or get Avalanche, whatever you like, and just do one thing: go into Uniswap, do a transaction, go to or go to DYDX and t- put a trade there. Or if you like the NFT space, you know, use Polygon, the Matic network. Uh, go to OpenSea and buy just a you know a, a five cent sort of. A, a token or something that's free, not token, but like an NFT, try going to Aave and try pledging your liquidity there and see that you're getting interest. There, Nothing beats trying because there's a lot of people that I've talked to, including some traditional finance guys who have 20, 25 years of experience. They've watched 200 hours of videos, but they never tried it because somehow they're still afraid that, oh, I might lose my money. I'm like, yeah, you lose your money, but maybe you'll lose your money, but 5,000 rupees or something, You know, you have to pay an education cost to try it. So you could read 10 books, you could watch 200 hours of podcast videos and stuff, but you're not going to get it until you try it. So in my opinion, just convince yourself to put across, put aside 5,000, 10,000 rupees. Admit to yourself that, okay, I might probably lose this because I'm going to do something stupid, but that's fine. It's an education cost. And just try some of these protocols because that's when the flywheel will start going in your brain where you're going to go like, okay, Well, Uniswap was too expensive. What's the alternative? Okay, people said Solana. So let me try Solana. Okay. Wow, Solana was very quick. It was very cheap. Okay, okay, okay. So what's the alternative? So what's Avalanche? And then you start figuring out the ecosystem. You start figuring out what's good, what's bad between different protocols. And you learn much, much, much more faster than just watching 200 hours of videos or reading five or 10 different books and trying to get a theoretical concept of that. That's my opinion. Uh, and that's for all the beginners and stuff. That's what I'll say. And then eventually, as you get into it, uh, when you're intermediate and stuff, then obviously, there are many, many podcasts and other things that you will eventually find. But don't bother thinking in two, 300 hours, just reading books or listening to podcasts. Just try it. Maybe you'll lose 5,000, 10,000 rupees. Uh, but you got to try it. I mean, you got to pay to learn, uh, basically. Otherwise, it's not going to make sense. That's my...
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Uh, This is something that I have experienced myself. I used to like, uh, like watch a lot of videos, read stuff here and there. And then like one day I decided, let me just try these protocols. And like, it is liberating. Uh, Once you use the protocol, you truly understand how it works. Uh, even Mm -hmm. though, I mean, you don't know how to code, but if you use the product, you understand it much better. So, yeah, I mean, uh, great advice. Uh, Thank you so much for that, Pat. Uh, Sam, you want to say something?
2: No, that's it. I agree. I agree with Pat. I, of course, thought that, look, I mean, we're just talking about access a few minutes ago and folks have access to all of this, right? So instead of reading, uh, you know, articles and blogs about, you know, how stuff is done and how people do it, you might as well try it yourself. I'm sure you're going to lose more than ten thousand rupees in gas fee if you're using Ethereum, but, uh, you know, that's, that's just, uh, that's just, that's just the best way to learn it. And that's just the best <laughs> way to do what you said. That was a joke, yeah. by the way. No, <laughs> you're
1: right. Yeah, you probably did. I think, I think I lost, uh, I think I spent four or five lakh rupees last year in gas fees alone <laughs> until I went like, I need a solution to this. And then I moved on to some other chains and alternatives, but that's how you learn. Like you're like, shit, I paid a lot in gas last year. So, um, So yeah, you got to try it. And that's when your brain starts working. And that's when you go like, all right, I want to look for solutions. And then you understand the ecosystem. If you just read the blogs, you're very likely just going to be some sort of maxi. Like there are Cardano maxis out there that have never tried a product because no product exists, but they just keep on reading blogs and videos and watching watching Charles Hoskinson videos for like 60 hours (laughs) and they believe in the product, but they never bloody tried it. So they don't know it's, it's not delivering anything. So the first thing to do is to try it. And you're going to see for yourself if the product is good or if it's lies, what the pros are, what the cons are. So you'll try to see if, you know, whether Ethereum makes sense or Solana makes sense or Polygon makes sense or so on. So
0: try it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys, Uh, I guess uh, that is it. Uh, And uh, I really appreciate you guys taking out time and having this conversation with me. I hope, uh, I mean, I certainly learned a lot from this uh, conversation. I hope my audience also uh, gains uh, some value uh, out of this. And uh, I hope to do this again uh, uh, sometime in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks, Satan
2: Thanks, thank guys. So Thanks, Jaitan.
0: Thank you so much for listening till the end. I hope you gained some value out of that conversation. If you did, make sure you like the video, make sure you subscribe to the channel, make sure you follow the podcast and uh, share it with your friends and family who you think would also enjoy uh, listening to this conversation. And if you have any questions, uh, drop them in comments below or reach out to me on my socials. I would be very happy to uh, have a chat. And uh, thank you so much once again. And I will see you in the next episode.